Let me pray for our message, and then we'll go ahead and get started. God, I bless you for this community, and I thank you so much for uh, Spark and every single person here. Thank you for this time that we've had to gather. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today is Mother's Day, and there's a lot of things that come to mind when I think of Mother's Day. Um, Bumper sticker wars is one of those things that come to mind. My child was honor student. My child is an A-plus student. My child can beat up your child. You know, all of those bumper stickers, and I I like this one. You know, I don't have a child, but I'm still proud of all the honor students out there because good for them, you know. Um, So I think of bumper sticker wars. I also think of the incredible wisdom that not only your mother, but other mothers bring to the table. Um, a couple Sundays ago, I was uh, needing to change a diaper while Daniel was preaching, and I grabbed all of the materials, the diaper and the pad, and then I grabbed a wipe, and I began to move back into the back room so as to not be a disturbance. And Tina, Mama Tina, says to me in the only way that you can say this question that is both deprecating but helpful at the same time, she says, you're only going to take one? And I thought to myself, that is a really brilliant question. And submitting myself to her guidance, I went back and then grabbed the whole packet of wipes, which was turned out, not to give you terribly many details, a very necessary move in that stance. So, so I think of wisdom and, and guidance like that. So thank you, Mama Tina, for that. Um, that was really, really helpful. Uh, then, then I think also of the complexities of this particular day. I don't know if you can read this, but there's all sorts of wonderful things. Mom is very loving. Mom is very sporting. Mom is really nice. Always, always makes you pancakes and mostly organized. And I love the honesty that that brings. And that slide for me, it illustrates for us in just some of the preliminary mentions statements that I would like to mention, that we recognize that Mother's Day is a wonderful day for many, but it is also a complicated day for many. And so as part of an introduction and as part of our extension of our heart and love to every single one of you, um, wherever you are on this journey and whatever this day might happen to bring, we want to let you know that we stand with you. Our hearts are with you. If you celebrate this day, as many do, in fact, I'm sure that many are not here tonight as a result of spending wonderful time Um, But if this day only reminds you of heartache and pain or suffering or disappointment, we want to let you know that we stand with you too. Spark is a place where we hold a lot of those emotions and a lot of those realities in tension together. And we just want to recognize that and uh, recognize that God is the God of all of those journeys in every single place that you're in. And uh, in the years and years that Danielle and I have been doing ministry, we recognize that almost every celebration, almost every time that we have in this world is both a a good thing and a bad thing, a blessing and a curse, and a double-edged sword in many ways. And so we just wanted to recognize that and let you know that we bless you and honor you for whatever your journey is. And in light of Mother's Day today, we were going to continue our Genesis series, but the next story in the Genesis series is a very unfortunate story that happened with Dina in Genesis. So we decided to set that aside for those of you who know what story that is, and we're going to share with you a message that I'd like to entitle The Womb of God. The Womb of God. Now, this is going to be hopefully a very enlightening time. I know it is for me whenever I think about this. It's, it's Mother's Day. It's a time where we think about femininity or we think about flowers. We think about the women in our lives. 
This is important for us in many ways from a theological and Christian and faith perspective. Why? Because the vast majority of our images of God are masculine. The ways in which we think about God, our Godfather, very heavily bearded, very much powerful, very much uh, authoritative. We have our conceptions of God and even our language of God tends to be on the masculine side. And we talk about God in masculine ways. And that's wonderful and appropriate. The problem is that it can lend itself to all sorts of expressions that happen to be perhaps, from a gender perspective, one-sided. It's all about um, super Jesus, and uh, he works out, and um, the Lord's gym, and, you know, it's about masculinity and struggle and the fight, and um, it has all of these kinds of connotations. And I've read some articles recently, and if you subscribe to maybe Christianity Today and some articles that, and blogs that talk about gender and spirituality, um, sometimes pastors get all uh, excited about the kinds of expression that faith and Christianity and spirituality should have in this world. And there is even some articles out there which were really hard for me to read sometimes about how God has even designed Christianity and faith to be masculine on its side. Um, a priori, in fact. It's the, the primary expression of faith and spirituality is to be masculine. And it's really, if I'm honest, um, somewhat unsettling because there, it almost invokes a necessary hierarchy, power, control, authoritarianism, and it creates a false dichotomy in the gender discussion in faith and spirituality that I'm wondering how healthy that is for the whole of the body of Christ. And it's also, in, if you think about it even further, perhaps even a little misleading to talk about masculinity and strength and power and femininity with tenderness and compassion or nurturing. Because the reality is, there's a lot of expressions of both femininity and masculinity that cross over. For example, Danielle and I every now and then get a wonderful time to go walk out at Shoreline. Now, out here at Shoreline, you can't walk anywhere without stepping on geese poop. So geese poop is out there. Now, we're walking and just having a good time until you come upon a goose with their babies. And I will tell you something, you do not want to cross a mother goose and their babies, or a mother bear and her babies, or a mother hen and her babies, or especially a mother elephant and her babies. So to equate strength with masculinity, even in that particular sense, may be misleading for us. And there's, there's perhaps a greater way to think about God, to think about faith, to think about spirituality than just a dichotomized or a bifurcated or a two-set dualistic male and female. This is especially true, and I'm going to get a little geeky here for a second, so I apologize, but you're at Spark, so we're going to get geeky. Um, language and vocabulary alphabets have their history have their beginning in Genesis in pictographs. In fact, all of our letters that we have today, even in the Latin alphabet, have their foundation long, long, long time ago in pictographs. This is the letter A. It's actually an ox head, and our ancient ancestors would write this to mean strength. Now, they would write it as that symbol as you can see there, and I can show you, you can actually Google this and look this up. Over time, as language has evolved, it turns into the Hebrew letter Aleph, and then turns into our letter A. In fact, you can still see, if you take a look, the two horns are now facing down instead of facing up. That's why our A is shaped that way. This is the letter 
B or the letter house. It's actually kind of a pictogram of what a house would look like. Um, this would be the letter that resembles a house or a tent, and it becomes the Hebrew letter bet, and eventually into our language, the English letter B. And you can kind of see it, the B as a doubled over house, like a two-story house, because we're Americans and we go up. So, this is uh, the symbol of water, and it actually becomes the mem in Hebrew, and then eventually the M in English. Now, why do I tell, all, tell you all of this? Because this is really, this is where I get the geeky part. It gets really exciting. This is the Hebrew word for father, Abba. It is the strength of the house. And in fact, the house is surrounded by strength. The strength of the house is Abba. Isn't that cool? This is the Hebrew letter, excuse me, the Hebrew word for mother, Ima. It is the strength of the waters. The waters are surrounding. Now, some people who study this suggest that the strength of the waters comes from a glue that ancient people would use, used to create in order to bind things together, whether it is to put papers together, whether it's to put animal skins together, houses together. So the strength of the water is a binding agent. In other words, the Abba is the strength of the house or the protector of the house, but the Ima, the mother, is the strength of the waters or the thing that holds it all together. But in both words, you're surrounded by strength. And I love that. It's beautiful when you start to see that the constructs that we have of gender may actually not be as dualistic and separate as we think that they are, even all the way to our ancient world. If you're interested, by the way, of learning all of the letters, you can buy this book. Now, the other reason why this kind of gets me um, excited or upset, I don't know what kind of reaction I have to this idea of masculine spirituality is because of all the varieties of things that we know about this world, about what can happen in this world when you empower women and especially girls. Now, this is not that talk. We'll give that talk later or just go online, read a book. You know, there's lots of those talks about that. But for us, we try to embrace the fullness of God's creation in both genders. And the reason, part of the reason for that is to you start to see the redemption of this world, the redemption of societies, the redemption of cultures as we embrace fully, fully both genders. So we're going to talk a little bit about masculinity and femininity. We're, it's Mother's Day, so I've decided to talk about the womb of God, and I'll explain a little bit of what I mean by that. But I would like to share with you a really, really brilliant insight. And I can say this is brilliant because this was from your pastor. Not me, Danielle. As I was sharing with her some of this, she said, you know what is so fascinating? We sometimes attribute feminine and masculine characteristics to God. But maybe, maybe they're not actually feminine and masculine characteristics primarily, first and foremost. Maybe they are first and foremost characteristics of who God is that is then expressed in the creation in that direction. And when she said that to me, a, a light bulb went off in my head and said, that is brilliant because of this passage right here. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And then later on in that passage, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
these characteristics that we have separated and segregated into the genders were never separated and segregated with the unified, single oneness of who God was in the first place. That, to me, is a brilliant insight. And so when we talk about God and we talk about faith and we talk about spirituality, maybe what we need to do is start to bring these things more closely together and to see the strengths of both and to see the expressions of both living more egalitarianly. I don't think that's a word. Living more equally with our expression of faith. Now, I want to make a disclaimer because we're going to talk a little bit about the femininity of God. In this discussion, it can be very, uh, very contentious. And I know that there's a lot of people that might hear this message and say, yes, but doesn't the Bible say God is father and Jesus is a son? Yes. We're not denying the masculinity. We're not denying the male components of who God is. We're not saying that you shouldn't attribute male characteristics to God or have that discussion. Please hear this. This is part of the problem of giving any messages. You have to say a whole bunch of things to make sure that everybody recognizes that you say everything. We're not saying that. We're just simply going to take this time to focus in on an area that we may have forgotten or may have not given as much attention to and then describe or pull out of that something that might actually illuminate a really amazing way to think about faith and life. So let's go. Numbers chapter 11. Just listen to these passages and start to feel a different sense of who God is. He asked the Lord, this is Moses, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors. This is Moses talking to God and saying, did I do that? The implication is, God, you are the one who carried them in your arms and nursed them as an infant. Deuteronomy chapter 32, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft, the Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. The idea of a mother eagle, which is actually the word for vulture, but we'll get into that another time. Uh, like, like a mother eagle that stirs up its nest, a mothering kind of presence. And then later on in verse 18, you deserted the rock who fathered you, but immediately after that, you forgot the God who gave you birth. A feminine characteristic attributed to this God. Isaiah chapter forty-two, fourteen. For a long time, I have kept silent I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. Have you ever considered God in his expression of love to us and in his expression of bringing us forth, equating that metaphorically to a symbol of a woman giving birth? And it was here that I was tempted to actually throw in video, but I'm sure many of you have seen PBS and Nova way too many times, so we can forego that. Hosea chapter 11. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim, this is God talking, to walk. I who took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. A God who is a nursing mother. We see these patterns 
and some allusions to the femininity side of God in Matthew chapter 6. See, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little, the, you of little faith? It's almost as if God actually has the patience to do shopping at a clothes store. <laughs> and one of our favorite parables in Luke chapter 15, Jesus equates God in this parable to a woman who has 10 silver coins, loses one. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, searches carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, this is just a sampling, a small sampling. And admittedly, you have to kind of pay attention. You have to look for these because it doesn't pop off of the page immediately. But it's there. There is a side of God that sometimes we often miss if our attentions are only set to one side. And I hope in some ways that understanding God in this new way both inspires you and challenges you to think about God, not just in terms of what is stereotypically masculine, powerful, authoritative, in charge, but start to think of God in other ways that include the feminine side and to start to see those expressions leap off the page as you read your text. Now, the last one that I'd like to share with you is, I think, one of the most profound and perhaps one of the ones that can illustrate some great spirituality for us. Now, the word is compassion. The, the passages in the scriptures speak deeply of God's compassion. Here's just one. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, compassion has all sorts of different meanings. In the Greek, this is a fun word to try to say. I'll do my best. The Greek is splagizomai. That's the Greek word for compassion. It can mean mercy. It can mean sympathy. It's like feeling what somebody else feels. And in the Latin, where we get our word, we get the word uh, passion, compassion from the word pati, or also impetus. Now, these two words can mean co-suffering, means to suffer along with, which is come, passion, empathy. But it also has a root in a Latin word, impetus, which means rapid motion, impulse, force. So if you ever hear the word passion, it also makes sense that somebody who is passionate might be rapid in motion or impulsive or forceful. Somebody who's ready to get on out there. But in the Hebrew, the word for compassion is the word racham. And this is the exact same word as the word womb. So, in other words, God is compassionate. He's empathetic. He feels what we feel. But he's also womb-like. Compassion, womb same word. What does this mean? What could this possibly mean? Well, if you read carefully through what this word, its etymology, its definition might mean, you might possibly put it this way. In other words, compassion in the biblical Hebrew sense is to carry somebody else's soul inside of you. And so if God is a compassionate God, a womb-like God, he is a God who carries you your soul deep within his 
soul, deep within his belly, deep within his loins? Have you ever considered a compassionate God, not just a God who feels what you feel, not just a God who gives you mercy, not just a God who gives you sympathy, but a God who takes all of your pain and suffering, all of your life experience, all of the things that you experience, and he actually carries it inside of himself. This, to me, is a beautiful feminine image of God, a God who is womb-like, compassionate. And so when I read these passages, Psalm 103.8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Why? Because he's carrying you so close to himself. Exodus 33, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then later in verse 6, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. When you hear this word compassion, when you hear this word, God is compassionate to you. I hope you also hear because compassion and womb are the same word in Hebrew, same root. That when he expresses compassion to you, he actually carries you inside of him. What a beautiful, amazing sense of this God. So often God is so distant. He's out there. Uh, You pray to him and he's far away. And this word compassion just tells me there's a whole other side, this feminine side. That means I'm surrounded. Like I'm trying to picture myself in a womb surrounded by everything of who God is, and he's nurturing. I mean, I I guess my spiritual umbilical cord is, you know, and, okay, maybe that might be too much, but feeling the sense. Now, recently, we've had to employ certain techniques in order to get some sleep, if you know what I mean. So my wife found this amazing app on the phone called Sound Sleeper. It has things like this, which is called Car Ride. And you can tell by the picture it's like a Model T Ford. I don't know why that's appropriate. It has um, sounds like this, which is a hair dryer. And you play that, and hopefully that helps to soothe the savage beast. Um, One of my... One of my favorites and the one that I actually listen to uh, on my own is the ocean. Oh, yes. Some of you are falling asleep right now, rocking yourself to sleep. Uh, There's perhaps the most annoying one, which is called shh. That's more freaky than uh, soothing, in my opinion, but... Uh, there's thunderstorm, there's vacuum cleaner. The very last one on here is womb. Now listen. Now as I was preparing for this message and thinking about God being compassionate and womb-like, This sound kept playing over in my my head. Now, I don't remember this personally. Some of you might remember this, you know, way back when you were, you know, a little thing. Uh, But I don't remember this. So as an adult, it's very fun and fascinating to hear this sound once again. This is what it's like to be in a womb. To hear the heartbeat. To be that close to the mother's heart. 
And so what I would suggest to you is perhaps the, the capstone of thinking about God as feminine, as God is compassionate, as God is womb-like. If God is holding you so close in a compassionate way, carrying your life and your soul within him, what do you get in response? What do you hear in response? What do you experience as you allow God to carry you in his, her womb? I think if we allow God to be compassionate to us, if we allow God to embrace us, to hold us, if we allow God and and picture and image God holding us so close and carrying our soul within him, I think what we get to hear is we get to hear more clearly the heartbeat of who God is. You know, and psychologists and people who study this stuff talk about attachment theory and bonding. And they talk about what happens between a mother and a child is a deep sense of bonding. I mean, chemicals are being released to make sure that you are attaching deeply. What would it be like if we allowed God to carry us inside and to experience that attachment and that bonding? And what does that attachment, what does that bonding provide? It provides security. It provides safety. It provides identity. You know who you are. You know you're comforted. You know you're safe. You know you're secure. All because you're this close. You're this close. And you know as a result of that safety and security, you can live out into this world with a whole new sense of confidence of who you are. Psychologists and therapists also tell us that a a baby who is this close can also recognize very, very clearly the sound of their mother. In fact, you can put a baby, we've seen videos of this, you can put a baby between two people, one being the mother, the other being a, a stranger, and you start cooing and talking, and the baby's head will naturally turn towards the mother. Could it be, if we allow God to hold us, to carry us, that we would begin to also recognize when God speaks even more clearly? And then lastly, oh, how I wish for more sleep, but we also know that as a mother and a child bond closer and closer together, the rhythms and the patterns of life start to emulate one another. You start to connect on that particular way where the biorhythms of the baby and the biorhythms of the mother are also doing the same thing. Could it possibly be that if we allowed God to carry, carry us, if we allowed God to hold us, to be compassionate to us, where he is carrying us this close, that the rhythms of our life would begin to come in tune, more in sync with God's rhythms of how he designed And that we would actually have a Sabbath day. We'd have a day off. We would rest. We would work and we would rest. And the patterns and the rhythms of our life would begin to emulate. This is what I think of when I think about compassion and the womb of God holding us, carrying us so close. Could it be that we could hear God's heartbeat a little bit more clearly? that we would attach and bond to God in newer and profound ways that would give us a greater sense of security and identity, that we would be able to recognize God's voice when we heard it out in the world, and that our rhythms in our life would begin to come in sync with who God is. This, to me, is so beautiful. Some people ask the question, well, how do I know God more? How do I experience this? How, how does this happen? The first thing I'm going to suggest is that we simply embrace all of God's characteristics as we've talked about today. We're not denying the masculine side, but let's also open up a little bit more to seeing that God is also feminine. God also brings these characteristics along. And second, accept God's compassion. Accept God's compassion. 
and allow God, allow God to hold you so close to himself. And let God carry you. Let your heart be melded with his and begin to synchronize your life and your rhythms with who God is. Let's pray. God, our language is so inadequate to describe your fullness and your greatness. But I I pray, Lord, that today, after hearing this and engaging a little bit more with your word, we would be engaged a little bit more um, with the fullness of who you are. May we hear your heartbeat. May we submit to your compassion. May you hold us so closely. May our life come in rhythm and pattern with you. And may you express to us an attachment and a bond that can never be broken because you have held us so close and so tight. Um, Thank you for your word. And thank you for being all things. All things that we understand to be masculine, all things that we understand to be feminine. May we embrace all of who you are, God, in this world. Have compassion on us. Hold us tight. And if there's anyone in this room that is so still resisting, may they let go and allow you to hold on to them. And I pray in your name. Amen.